This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Mortgage rates have been sliding lower during this time of the coronavirus pandemic, but we saw something unique yesterday as the 30-year fixed rate mortgage, according to Freddie Mac, dipped to 2.98%. And that's the lowest that they have seen in their 50 years of watching mortgage rates. Sam Chandon is an adjunct associate professor of real estate here at the Wharton School, also a chair and associate dean of the real estate department at NYU, and he joins us on the phone right now. Sam, this is a this is a a big uh, a big statement. It looks like about what the what the market's going to be like for people who either want to buy a home or or refinance over the next uh, next few weeks. Uh, absolutely, I think what we've seen is that mortgage rates did come down during the great financial crisis, and that prompted a refinancing boom. Um, But they've remained very low in the year since. Over the course of this entire expansion, uh, up until just a couple of months ago, mortgage rates remained low. Even so, as you point out, Dan, uh, we've seen rates now fall to uh, historic lows, the lowest that we've seen in the Freddie Mac series, below 3% for the first time. And it sounds like from uh, uh, the belief of a a few people out there that 2.98 might not be the lowest level we will see in the short term. So it's important to keep in mind that mortgage rates in the United States, because of how our housing market is structured and the particular role that the government plays in facilitating the market and making sure that we have access to these 30-year mortgages, that the mortgage rate we see is very, very closely tied to what we see happening with the larger interest rate market. So when Treasury yields are going down, when uh, at the short end of the yield curve, we see that the Federal Reserve is being uh, very accommodative with its uh, monetary policy. Those are things that are going to bring the mortgage rate down. So when folks are talking about the possibility of it going even lower, I think what they're pointing to is the possibility that in the larger market, we could see that 10, 20-year yield you know, continue to decline over the course of the next couple of months, depending on what we see happen with uh, the overall economic outlook. But, but realistically, the people that are going to qualify for these very low rates are going to be the ones that, uh, you know, have the very good credit score and they can put down the large the large down payment, I would think, correct? Yeah, and, and I think that becomes a really important element of what we see in the market. So how has the low rate actually influenced outcomes? What we see is that there's been a spike in refinancings. So for folks who already own their homes, Uh, You'll hear from your mortgage company, there's never been a better time uh, to refinance into a lower rate. And for a lot of people, that is going to be absolutely true. Uh, It's also the case that a lot of folks who own their homes, they happen to have stable incomes. They're not the folks that have been most impacted by, uh, by job losses. They've got significant equity there. They're really able to take advantage of uh, this low interest rate environment. On the other side of it, Dan, what we actually do not see is a significant increase in the purchase index. That's the index that measures how many folks are applying for mortgages because they want to buy a home. A couple of really important reasons for that. One is that um, in the midst of the pandemic, although rates are low, uh, the idea of actually going out there to look for a home, uh, going to open houses, uh, it's been tougher, folks, uh, to really look around for homes. But also, I think what we see is that a lot of folks who are renters right now who are thinking about transitioning to home ownership for the first time happen to be uh, the folks that may be disproportionately impacted uh, by job losses uh, and by other uh, drivers of financial insecurity. The other part to this, Sam, obviously, of this occurring right now 
is the fact that you do have so many people that have either been furloughed from their job or they have lost their job right now. And for that, you know, it could be upwards of 30 to 40 million people that have kind of gone into that realm. Not all of them would have been thinking about refinancing or buying a home, but there's going to be a percentage of those people that probably won't be able to take advantage of it because of the circumstances we have right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, what we do see is that there has been a big increase in refinancing. It actually peaked very early in uh, the downturn um, and has come down a little bit. I should say that refinancing activity had actually been picking up throughout 2019 as the 30-year mortgage rate was declining. But it really jumped again at the beginnings of the pandemic and has remained at very elevated levels. To your point, the folks that are able to take advantage of this uh, current circumstances are the ones who've been able to hold on to their jobs, that have financial security, that have significant equity in their homes. Uh, Those are the ones who are really going out there taking advantage of these low rates. Folks that are, uh, you know, face potential uh, instability in the labor market uh, that may have lost their jobs, that have been furloughed, uh, that, that may not be homeowners yet. Uh, this is the cohort for whom you know the rates are low, but they're just not able to take advantage of it. But we still have some of the issues surrounding inventory right now, too, correct? Yeah, and so uh, to your point, what we've seen as a feature of the market throughout this uh, throughout the last 10, 12 years, that there's been very limited additions uh, to the supply in the sense that we haven't actually built a lot of single-family homes in the United States. A lot of the residential construction in the country has been focused on the rental apartment market and single family home building for a lot of different reasons, not just uh, you know, demand, uh, but also the availability of skilled labor to build, the availability of materials, softwood lumber, lots, local zoning. All of these things have limited the amount of single family home construction that we've seen. So even when uh, demand has been fairly subdued, prices are high in our markets for housing. And that, again, reflects that there hasn't been a lot of additions. New housing inventory is scarce. In particular, we've seen very little built in the way of the kind of home that you might think would be appropriate for someone that was buying their first home or someone who uh, was making uh, really reaching a little bit to make that transition from renting into home ownership for the first time. So that, that starter home uh, is not something we've seen a lot of. With the absence of that new supply, it's really seen, uh, we've really seen prices increase. We're joined by Sam Chandon, uh, who is chair and associate dean of real estate at NYU and also an adjunct uh, associate professor of real estate at the Wharton School. Can you even start to think about how long of this cycle could really last for, for people out there in dealing with these low rates? Or are we looking at this for at least for the foreseeable future while this pandemic continues? I think the expectation is that without any pressure on the interest rate uh, environment from you know, inflation in particular, uh, we're not going to see you know, the, the broader interest rates in the market go up in the near to medium term. And that means that mortgage rates should remain low. There are two things that we need to be keeping in mind, however. One is that there is a discussion afoot, as there has been you know, since the great financial crisis, about what we do with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. As yeah. folks may recall, in 2008, during the, you know, the worst and toughest days of the housing crisis, the, both Fannie and Freddie, the folks that make sure that we have access to these longer-term mortgages, they facilitate the secondary mortgage market for consumers in the United States, they were moved into conservatorship as they ran into some financial trouble. They've remained in that structure uh, in the many years that have followed, even though they you know, perform quite well now. 
And uh, there is a conversation about the possibility of an executive order that would change uh, that conservatorship relationship. That could have an impact on, on the availability of mortgages in the United States. We just don't know what that's going to look like because it's playing out in a highly political environment. Um, the other thing that we need to keep in mind as a factor in the market, and it's a source of uncertainty for us, every economist who's looking at the urban environment right now, Dan, is asking the question about how people's location preferences might change as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. By that, what we're looking at is, are folks going to want to stay in very dense urban cores? Are they going to want to move to relatively more suburban areas? Is the pandemic going to be the thing that really pushes you know, that millennial demographic to say, it's time to you know, become a homeowner now? For those who have the financial means, uh, there is the possibility. It's not going to happen in you know, a month or two months. But if the pandemic has an impact on people's long-term thinking about their location preferences, we could see that way in favor of relatively more suburban areas and single-family homes. Yeah, especially in, in areas where, around where you are in New York City. Uh, you've heard anecdotally of people you know, deciding that they wanted to move out of the city and move to the suburbs, whether it be for them as a family situation, for their kids. Maybe they want them to go to school in a different location. It's just a dynamic at play. Now, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, we had the Housing Starts data, which came out today. And as part of that, it was interesting to note that in the permitting side of it, Single-family home permits were up about 12%, and I don't know where that sits in terms of the scope of, of normality, but it, it would look like that there is maybe a little bit more activity on the single-family building market. Yeah, and that's going to take a while to translate into actual homes in the market that folks can buy uh, and move into, but I think it, what it does reflect is a sense on the part of many people in the market that the balance of preferences for dense urban experiential living on one side uh, and relatively lower density living opportunities on the other shifts a little bit. It is a source of uncertainty for us. And Dan, it comes back to some of the things that you've mentioned. It's about where people want to send their kids to school. It's also in many cases, you did mention New York City where I'm based, you know, the, the, you know, the, the commute um, is a big yeah. source of anxiety for a lot of people right now. Part of the reason we all live in fairly close to the city is that it makes it a bit easier for us to get to the office. If going forward, if the norm is that I only need to go into work two days a week, three days a week, then all of a sudden it opens up a whole range of opportunities for me. You know, I don't mind the hour commute each way if I'm doing it two or three days a week. I stayed in Manhattan because it's not something I can manage five days a week. Sure. And so the range of these things, how COVID, the pandemic, ultimately changes the way that we work together, uh, the, the experiential environment. Uh, it has a big impact on where we decide to live as well. Uh, and that's going to factor in here and part of what is showing up in that single-family home data you mentioned. Sam, thanks very much. All the best. Stay safe. We'll catch up with you again. Thanks very much. Thank you. Sam Chandon joining us here on the show. And obviously one of the things that also does is it's going to have an impact on the bottom line for a lot of city budgets uh, when you think about the revenue streams and the tax revenues, that's going to be impacted by people moving to the suburbs as well. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.